Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Chris Facey. Uh, Chris is a documentary and portrait photographer, and we talk about three of his current projects. Dad Duty Project, which focuses on debunking the myth of absentee fathers in black and brown communities. Being Careful, Caring More Than a Burden, where he hopes to bring awareness and change to the safety concerns of women. And Tale of Two Pandemics, Racism and COVID-19, uh, which has been published in different forms in The New Yorker and New York Magazine and in The New York Times. Uh, Chris and I also talk about how he started photographing while serving in the Army at Fort Drum, his decision to attend the School of Visual Arts, and how almost all of his decisions revolve around being a role model for his children. And I think one of the things you'll notice throughout our conversation is that Chris is very interested in the visual representation and perception of the black image. And that is very much at the core of all the work of his that we'll talk about in this episode. But before we get to that, Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service. Uh, so as many organizations have been hit by manufacturing and shipping delays, uh, the Charcoal Book Club also has had a few delays. Uh, but my next book, Joy Rider by Ross McDonald, is in the mail. And I described that book in the last episode. So as soon as I get that, I will do a, an Instagram reel uh, on it and give you a little preview. Uh, and the next book should be Village People, 1965 to 1990, by Jindrik Street, or Streetis, and I hope I'm saying that correctly, sorry. <laughs> uh, Jindrik is an exceptional chronicler and narrator. For more than five decades, he describes life in the countryside in the Czech regions of northern Moravia and Bohemia in his black and white photographs. It is a comprehensive photographic as well as sociological study similar in scope and artistic quality to that of August Sander in Germany or Eugene Atje in Paris. And uh, as soon as I get that, I'll, I'll do a little preview of that as well. All right, everyone. So again, my guest today is Chris Facey, and we have a wonderful conversation. So thank you for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. Spacey, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, you know, um, we just, uh, you know, I run the JKC Gallery, as you well know, and, and so we just finished up a, a third Thursday artist talk, and you were fantastic. It was really, like, Thank you. such a, an enjoyable talk. Um, and so I wanted to invite you to, to be on the show to talk more about your work, because it's, uh, you're doing some really good stuff, and I want to ask you that. I hope so. I hope I, <laughs> I, hope I am. Oh, you are. You really are. But before we get into that, uh, how did you get into all of this? What got you into photography? Okay, now that I got time to tell the the long form right. of there's, it a little bit. That's right. It's not. There's, we don't have the clock running like we do in an yeah. artist talk. <laughs> um, so I was. I got into photography while I was still uh, serving in the army, and I came home for leave, uh, and my best friend, who's like my brother, I pretty much consider him my brother. Hmm. Uh, he told me how much money he paid. Uh, this photographer for these shirts, like for the clothing line that he was trying to start. And I, me so naive and ignorant to the craft. What? You spent how much money on these shirts? <laughs> Bro, I could have I did that with my phone. Like, listen to what I'm saying right now, right? I could have did that on my phone, bro. You're, that's crazy. Yo. Like, give me a camera. I bet you I could do better than that. I bet you. He's like, all right. Like, we didn't have no camera. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know what the start was. 
So he let me borrow his mom's old Fujifilm digital camera. It was really old. I wish I could remember the the model or whatever, but it was like, it had the optical zoom. I think it was maybe about eight, maybe 12 megapixels, one of those two. <laughs> sure. I didn't know anything about it. I took it, drove back to Fort Drum. I'm shooting everything. Everything's garbage shots. Everything's trash. I'm, <laughs> but but I'm trying to figure out what this camera can do. I don't know anything about it. I was never, you know, it was never put in my hand as a youth. So I'm taking all these photos and I'm like, why this doesn't look like what I'm looking at on the computer? Like how I get this blurry background? How I do all these things? Hmm. And the more I was, the more I was learning about it, the more interested in it I got, the more in love with it I was falling. And I came to I came to a point in the, in my studies where it was telling me about interchangeable lenses. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's probably why this thing looked like this. So I got to get this. I need a camera that I can switch the lens. I didn't even know the word interchangeable. It was, it was, just, <laughs> it was just, bro, it was just like, I need a camera where I can switch lenses. All I was like, that's how I was referencing it when I went to these stores. That's stuff. right. So... I looked online to see how much it costs. If anybody knows anything about the pay for a soldier in the military, it is not a lot. Uh, so support the troops. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, was, I couldn't get it. And I was like, dang, it got to be another way. Uh, so I, walked, I went up and down the barracks and I'm knocking on individuals doors who I think might have a camera. A camera uh, nobody has one. I came across one guy who has one, but he never used it. And I'm like, hey, man, like, would you be willing to... You know, let's sell it like even if on a payment plan, I, you know, I live downstairs. <laughs> and he was just like, he was just like, no, I kind of need the money, do, do, do. And as I was leaving, he like just tosses the bag to the side in his room and I'm watching at the door close. I'm like, oh, he just tossed it. Like, he clearly, all right, I got to figure something out. Right. I got to get a camera. <laughs> so, what I did was, I noticed some of the other soldiers were applying for um, a military star card, which is like, I guess, like a credit card for, oh, okay. for service members, right? That you could use on post. And they were using it to buy Playstations and Xboxes and stuff. Like I was, I didn't really care for that. But yeah. I said, I could probably use it for a camera. I know they sell the camera at the PX. So I go to the PX, which is a post exchange, like a army Walmart. Yeah. And you go there and I, I buy it. I have, I, when I get approved for the card, I'm going to say that, but I get approved for it. And it's just enough. It's just enough to cover a Canon, I think it was T. Rebel. T5 something. It was one of those T's and it came with a kit lens, but I had just enough to also get a 50 mil lens, which in the research was saying, Oh, 50 is like, da, da, da. I don't know. I'm just going to go with what this guy said. Cause he got the, cause he has the blurry background. Yep. So he knows <laughs> what he's talking about. Um, so naive, bro. So I get that. I had just enough to get that SD card, um, in a cute little, bag is what it looked like <laughs> that they give you from behind the counter you know what is this thing it's not even gonna hold anything but <laughs> it was it was supposed to be cute i guess i get back and i put the card in and i'm doing all these things and now that i'm thinking back i think i was shooting everything in jpeg sure at the I time too. yeah i didn't know any i didn't know anything but i was shooting this stuff and i was learning i was learning and even at that time i thought photography was just photos of um just like photos of people and photos of things to sell you know like i didn't i wasn't well versed in that I'm thinking like, what else can I do? But I also got to pay off yeah. this camera that I just bought. <laughs> so I'm doing, so now I'm doing portrait sessions and shooting maternity shoots and things for fellow soldiers and stuff. And they're paying and it, it paid off. I paid off the camera. Wow. Paid off. I was like, I was like, oh wow, this is great. Like, this is cool. Yeah. yeah. But I was still learning, still learning. I'm doing these portraits at like on the weekends when we kind of get time off and I'm doing that. And then it just turned into me 
bringing it with me all the time, everywhere. Like I would have my camera bag on my back with my camera in it, like just to be ready for anything, slowly becoming the the soldier with the camera. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until one day I just Googled black photographers because I didn't know any. And what a wormhole that led me down. <laughs> what a wormhole that led me down. Is that down. when you I'm start discovering Gordon Parks? Yes. Yep. Gordon Parks and Carrie Mae Weems, Roy J. Carava, although not black, but W. Eugene Smith. Mm-hmm. Like, I was looking at all of these things and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is this? How can I do this? Like this, I feel way more connected to this. I don't know what it is versus what I've been doing with this stand here, pose, eyes up, look this way, drop your shoulders. I don't want to do that all day. Hmm. <laughs> like, I didn't really enjoy that. But I think when I did that, I I more so enjoyed just the act of making the photograph at that point, learning the camera, figuring out what things are, ISO, shutter speed, things of that nature. But when I seen you could do that, I'm like, how does they, how do they do that? How are they capturing things, moving? Like, what's up with like? Went outside um, with one of my, my battle buddies, one of my soldier friends, and we walked in downtown Watertown, and uh, there was a plastic bag that the wind blew, and I just went to take a picture of it. And a lady is standing outside this bar. She goes, I hope that's a pretty good picture of some trash. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I hope so, too. I hope so too. <laughs> and from then, and from then on, I, that's just when I just photographed everything as my as my day went on. What was going on with me in the army? I'm doing self portraits. I'm photographing weapons. I'm photographing soldiers cleaning weapons, training exercises. You name it, I'm shooting it. I was shooting everything. Life in the barracks of soldiers. After I wish I knew what I was know now, and I probably would have saved a lot of that a lot better for you know a body of work or something, but. That was when that I envy that time. I envy the when I didn't know anything <laughs> about right. photography. Right. I, I envy that. It, I miss it so much. I'm it's jealous a, of anybody that gets it. Unburdened excitement that you have when you don't know a lot, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And uh, knowing more actually, in some ways, makes it more difficult because you're just so aware. Of everything, everything that's been done, how important it can be, how meaningful it can be. And then all of a sudden you have responsibility. You have real responsibility once you really understand what you're doing, right? And I always say, and I say to my friends often that, you know, I wish somebody put a camera in my hand when I was 13. You know, mm. that, that was me getting into photography at uh, 25 years old. I'm 31 now, but getting to 25 years old. I, this, the, the life I lived as a teenager would have mm-hmm. been wild to look back at photographs and and see, you know? Yeah. But, so is it, do you go from the army to the school of visual arts? I do exactly that. <laughs> I do exactly that. Yeah. With really no, with really no time in between to even, I guess, breathe. I, I came home with a mission. I came home to really make sure that I can put myself uh, in a position to create as well as be there for my daughters um, and try to leave something around for them uh, when it's all said and done. And this has come after a whole long battle of while I'm getting out of the army, do I want to go to school for dental hygiene or do I want to go to school for photography? And I just couldn't see myself digging in somebody else's mouth every day. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. No, no shades and no dental hygienist. Oh, no. I know that. They're doing God's work. Pays. I know that pay is good. I know yeah. that pay is amazing. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't do it. That is 
in, in many ways a choice we've all made. Like, do I go for the, like I, I started out in engineering. Do I go for the career where I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have a, a comfortable living or do I go for the life and art where I have no idea if I'm going to make money? And here's the thing with that. It was, it was a little bit deeper for me because how can I be a parent, right? Yeah. And tell my daughter, you, know, you can go out and be whatever you want to be. You know, like you can go do whatever you want to do. You don't have to come off your path, but that's your path. And I did that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I got I kind of got to uh, walk it like I talk it. So for them, I'm going to show them. So that's why I'm so, uh, you know, hard pressed on making work and making good work that even when, if I'm gone, it, it left some type of uh, mark on the world and, you know, my kids can see that. Hopefully it inspires them to do do something. But I didn't think about SVA as like, all right, let me go to school. I thought of it when I read, it was one line that came out to me and, you know, in doing my research about the school where working professionals was the line. Like your professors are working professionals. Mm-hmm. That's what stood out to me because I, I already knew how to use a camera by the time I got to SBA. I was already, I felt like I was pretty good in, in the technical aspect of it. It's just that was what I wanted. I wanted those conversations with those professors. And I got the opportunity to have a few of those conversations with some of those professors um, and get a better understanding of how to navigate not only being a photographer for your, your own personal stuff, but also, you know, having to sometimes go to the other side and do things for, for the money to fund it, to fund your personal stuff you know this catch 22 oh yeah yeah um, yeah but it, I, I didn't i wouldn't know how to navigate that i'm just a kid from from brooklyn i don't really you know and i just picked their minds and i think me the fact that i was one of the more older students um when i was there almost every one of my classes almost always one of the only black students as well i had to get that information i couldn't waste the opportunity being here i'm sitting across a professor who kind of has to answer my questions mm-hmm. you know <laughs> so let me take that opportunity to do that. And so there's stuff that I learned while at SBA that I came back and I taught some of my friends who who haven't gone to you know school for photography. Let them know like this is how this works. Mm-hmm. This is how they say it works. This is what I think. This is, you know. So I kind of feel like a like the Robin Hood of <laughs> photography education. Give maybe. it away for free. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something I got to do something for my guys. <laughs> What um what was your senior work at at the School of Visual Arts? What did I show? Well, I was I got in the mentor show, and for the mentor show, what, was Stephen Frilly there when you were when you were there? When I got, when I got accepted to the school, when you, was he the chair? Yeah, when I when I started coming to the school um in early 2018, he he was there. He um I, I actually didn't make a final decision, and I wouldn't make a final decision on until I sat down and spoke with him because I had some questions. And yeah. They said, yeah, uh, we'll, get you on the, we'll get you on the calendar. And they got me right in to nice. speak with him. I came in one day to talk with him. He and I sat down. And what I will always respect about him is that he kept it 100% real. He closed the door and he told me what was up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's no secret. You know, it's not no secret formula. There's no magic spell. <laughs> you come in here and, you know, you work. He said everybody's success is, is dependent on what they get from here. And if you come here and you waste your time just not going to happen. You know, the same rules apply when I was in the army. So this is just going to be another thing. But it was, it was how he said it to me and how honest he was about it was like, if you work hard here, the work will speak for itself. Like, don't think, you know, don't think too much about, you know, about what everybody else is telling you. And I think it was really important that I got to meet him uh, and I got to understand more, the more I got to know some of the professors on, on, on personal levels. Um, 
but he was amazing in that decision for yeah, movie. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. think that that was really cool to have him. So you graduated SVA just recently? Yeah, this year actually. I did, I did know that. Oh well, congratulations! And I'm sorry. Thank you. It was this I'm sorry, year. it was during the yeah, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was also there was a hiccup. They uh they sent out the the degrees, and some of them didn't have. I guess none of them had the little foil stamp oh, thing. Oh, jeez! So they had to resend <laughs> Redo it all to make it official. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, getting back to um, the senior show, do you do you remember what you showed? Uh, and you were in the the mentor show, which is an honor, right? Yeah. I, what did I show? I can't for the life of me remember what I showed. I think I showed. I think I showed some protest work. Oh, okay. Yeah, you would have actually been making that. The pandemic and protest work. Yeah, I think that's what I did for my senior show. If I'm not mistaken, because that's what I, that's ultimately what I used to make the the book that you know that they pay for. So yeah, I think that was it. But for the mentor show, I I used my um, double dutch, my jump rope work. That, yeah, so we're going to talk all about that. So you um you get out of SVA and you're still in Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. It's still the kind of middle of the pandemic, and we are in the you know the height of the the Black Lives Matter protests. It's an incredible year in terms of the pandemic. Uh, is that when you, you put the work together, the tale of two pandemics? That was, the tale of two pandemics was more so in, in afterthought when, you know, when I finally had a time to pick my head up from out of all of the protests and mm-hmm. all the stuff to really see what was really going on. Because you could really forget at some of these protests that you are in the middle of a pandemic because you're so busy fighting this one. Right. You forget that this whole other one was going on for a second. It's like, damn, we really got to be like super protected. Like, um, and I'm like, yo, that's two problems happening at one time for a group of people that just is already too tired. Yeah. You actually <laughs> so, refer to it as two viruses, which I think is a great way to describe yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. It, 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 you know, COVID-19 for obvious reasons, what it is and what, mm-hmm. you know, to its literal sense. And then racism, how that is something that is passed down from generation to generation through, you know, through revisionist history uh, tactics and people just feeding bad information to the next generation. You know what I mean? So that's also a virus because you're killing the opportunity for them to grow themselves. A good deal of that work was published. Uh, I know you did work for the New Yorker magazine, New York magazine, New York Times, The Cut, and and there were various ways in which they put that work together. But uh, quite a few Mm -hmm. of your photos of the, the marches and the protests were published. But it's also... It's also a, a larger project that you worked on, and it's it's on your site. Mm-hmm. Part of the work you do is trying to debunk stereotypes, debunk myths, debunk ideas that the culture here in the United States has developed about black people in general. And it, yeah, I try. Yeah, I hope it comes across well. It, it actually goes through the three projects that I do want to talk about. I mean, it, it, that runs right through the Tale of Two Pandemics, Dad Duty Project, and and Being Careful. Um, the three things that, you know, you talked about during your artist talk that I'd like to talk about here. Okay. But one of the things I find interesting about the, the tale of two pandemics is that both of those, racism and COVID, the, the two of them happening at the same time put such a kind of stress on how we sort of do things, right? How do we mm-hmm. march and protest? How do we kind of handle both at the same time? Um, was, you know, just a, a whole different, I think, experience for, for people in the last year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. And the idea of putting it together as a story, I thought was really interesting. Um, how much of that was 
you thinking about that and how much of that was, you know, I, I forget which, um, if it was the New York Magazine or New Yorker Magazine, how much of that was sort of like an editorial decision about how to talk about the two at the same time? Uh, it was more so my idea, just actually taking the time to sit down and look at my work and seeing what was going on and being out in the protest, you kind of get, you know, firsthand experience what's what's really happening like you know and I, that was really my experience remembering to keep on this mask at the same time mm. remember to be able to protect myself from tear gas and mm-hmm. funneling and grabbing you know police getting i you know i got hit with bikes and, and things of that nature being out there photographing so oh um you know you got to be on point for that and but remember not to let people too close or call for sneeze on you right <laughs> like, you know like we're literally fighting for our lives and like both aspects Right. Yeah, I remember um, weighing the the health risks against the importance of what was happening. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I love about looking at the projects on your side is you do write so beautifully about the work that you're doing. So, thank you. If you don't mind, I'm just going to read a little bit of the the end of the tale of uh, two pandemics. Civil unrest and protests began all over the world in record breaking numbers amongst a life changing pandemic. This was and continues to be a monumental moment in history, a fight against two viruses, racism and COVID-19. I needed to do my part in making sure this historical black story gets told honestly and from the front lines of these protests before the narrative gets misconstrued and black people are represented as savages and or thugs again, further perpetuating those same stereotypes I am trying to change during the zeitgeist of our time. I mean, that, that sums up the this work, but I think it, it also very much uh, sums up the, the other work that you're doing. Yeah. The, the black image is very, very important. How, how, how we're visually represented is definitely a big thing for me because, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time, you know, since the beginning of racial issues in this country, over 400 plus years of this stuff, um, somebody else controlled our our visual representations, our narrative, what we are, who we are, what we're capable of, so much so to push more fear and to create more hate. Like these things was like built on top of built on top of things of what they wanted to show you as a world. And then those things trickled over into the generation we live in and now. Some of those things, the residual of those things are still in place about people assuming with black how black people are gonna act based on images that scared their ancestors so much so. Yeah. You know, and we can't. We don't have an opportunity to really ever show our stuff to th- the whole other world to see. Like, no, that is a misconception that they are telling you. Like, we are a beautiful people. We have. We are very. We're not a monolith. We're right. like a mosaic of different, many different things. And you have to. You have to accept that. You have to appreciate that. You have to love us. Like <laughs> the same way we love each other. You have to love us. We shouldn't have to constantly keep fighting. But it all comes from how we are seen. So if I can show you how loved we are. Sure, how, how we can take, uh, you know, and I spoke on it at the talk, you know, like to, to be black is to have magic powers to me. Like it's, you know, you're an alchemist. You, you, you take nothing and turn it into something. So we've taken these negative things and people are at protest hurting, but still finding time to dance. You know what I mean? Yeah. As they wait to, to greet, like that's beautiful, but let the news get a hold of it and it, they're rioting and they're per- putting things on fire and they're wow. this, they're like, no. Yeah. I'm just, not, now while I'm, I can't let it rock. I think I just read a study where they said something like, out of all the the protests that happened in the past uh, year and a half, two years, uh, something like two percent had violence. Like ninety eight percent 
were peaceful protests. But what think about the images you saw the past year and a half. Mm-hmm. And it's that perception that, like you were saying before, that's the virus, right? That's the other virus. Yeah. Yep. That propaganda, if you will. You mm-hmm. know, I know that during some of those riots, there were people that were driving in here from dropping into New York. I can't say here, I'm not in New York anymore. That would drive to New York from other states. Mm-hmm. And they're doing damage. And then they would get That's back right. in their cars and leave and go back to where they're from. And it's like, that, wow, you really did that. That like, happened in Trenton. Really yeah. It happened in you Trenton. I mean? Yep. There were people who came in just to cause violence, just to stir up violence, and then they were gone. Yep. So uh, you were you're in school and, and you started photographing the protests and then you continued that work after SVA. And, you know, there's two other projects I want to talk about, Being Careful and Dad Duty Project. Which which one of those sort of came next or were you working on things together? Um, well, the Dad Duty Project came before all of these uh, projects that's up on, on, on my website. It started from a, an ad that I seen from Macy's. And I think it was toward the end of 2018. I didn't know it would have uh, it would have affected me like that. But hmm. they had uh, different combinations of your, I guess, your typical family, mom, dad, and child. But they had every race, almost every race, racial combination together, except for a black woman with a black man. Oh wow! It's a it's a real kind of corporate advertising idea of diversity, right? Mm-hmm. And the realization for me in that moment was. Yo, you could black like black dads never really get the recognition they deserve. Like I'm a black dad, and sometimes I feel like a second class citizen as a dad. You know, not for my children, of course, but you know, just like when dads do think it's more of a that's what you're supposed to do versus when mom does it, and you know, it's like you know pulling the blimps and stuff. Not to say they don't deserve it, but you know, I don't think one parent is better than or less than the other. Mm-hmm. It takes both at the end of the day, um, but. We, we weren't getting that representation. The only time I did see a dad being advertised like on the bus stops and stuff was to go get tested for COVID. Oh, wow. Was the only, like, <laughs> that was crazy. They had that family structure <laughs> together for that. Hmm. But back to when I seen the original one, it, like, it never, that wasn't my experience. That was never my experience. I'm a dad. My brother's a dad. My best friends are dads. You know, my dad was there. Although I was adopted, my dad, my adopted dad was there. He's a dad in the house. You know, he was a father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, there were dads that weren't in their child's lot, but that's part of a whole nother system that we can get into at another time. But that just wasn't my experience. And I was like, yo, dads really don't get cut no slack. Then you start, when you're a dad, you notice a lot of the slights too. Like before I was a dad, I didn't really pay no attention to it. But once you become a dad, you see the slights like, uh, Mother's Day, they tell me about Mother's Day two months in advance. <laughs> you know, get her some diamonds and stuff and then Father's Day, they tell you hey, this weekend, it's it's, uh-huh. it's Father's Day, remember to get and then yeah. you get a tie or a grill. It's like, man, I like jewelry too. I, got, I like a nice gold ring or something for Father's Day. You know, I get the makeshift cards and stuff and I love them. I hold on to them. Of I course. definitely hold on to them. Of course. I'm that guy. Yeah, um, so do I. But even right, look, look, I got a little tub with my, my daughter wrote dad, 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 oh, dad yeah. all over. Yep. You know what I mean? So it's a little makeshift thing she gave me. And I keep these things. Yep. Um, and it's like, those be our rewards, you know, for, you know, being good dads. But it's like, oh, we kind of want a little bit more too. Like how y'all celebrate mom. We want to get celebrated the same way. Mm-hmm. So this is like my celebration, you know, to, you know, to celebrating black dads, showing them like, I see you. Like, I see you doing your thing. And I've been in a position. And in the process also, when I get to talk to these dads and even in those brief moments, I learn more about being a father. 
in the different aspects that it come from, and you know, different ways people are raising their children um, as men, which is has been amazing for me. So, you know, the the idea of the absent black dad was something the media got a hook into, and once you know it, it once that happens, it you know it, it takes so long for them to let go of that narrative because it it either sells well or you know it's a story that. You know they're not ready to give up on because they've put so much work into it, and um, and yeah. it's very hard to then to then get that out of the the cultural consciousness, right? Yeah, and I and I picked that up during you know, I, and I was still in SVA trying to make this work. I don't I don't remember if it was thesis or seminar, whatever one it is before seminar. I think I don't know the names anymore. I'm just <laughs> glad to be out. Um, <laughs> I think. I think it's seminar and then thesis. Yeah, third year, fourth year. Yeah, right? one of those. But then I did something over a summer, over a summer course mm. I did as well, and that was when I was trying to put it together. And that that project has changed so many times since I've I made it because the goal, the original goal, was to photograph dads at the home, like that intimate oh. interaction between you know dads and their child at mm-hmm. home. Like yeah, like it's a little bit more than just taking them to school, and you know like yeah, anybody could just say that. I want to shoot. I want to shoot to see the nitty gritty, like dad's doing this too mm-hmm. um and that was the process and then COVID hit so you know you weren't going into people's homes was not going to be a thing it's, right. that wasn't happening right so i photographed dads that i seen on on the street pretty deadpan straight on in the center of the frame those are not in what you see on the website because i don't i don't see how it would fit just now i'm still trying to find a way to make it fit you know oh, interesting. And things like that so <laughs> i'm trying to find a place where so, it fits so the photos have, i have that the photos you have of of inside the homes that uh, was pre-pandemic, yeah. And except for the one, one or two of them weren't. But mm-hmm. that is that's family. Yeah, you know. So they, yeah. we were we everybody was cool. And and just before before we forget to say it, your your website is cocoa butter shutter. <laughs> yes, cocoa butter Yeah, yeah. So if, so the, that's where uh, you know if you're if you're listening and you want to go check it out while you're listening, that's where you should go. Please go check it out. Yeah. <laughs> So the last project you talked about at the Artist Talk is this project you're working on in color, which is mm-hmm. being careful, caring more than just a burden. And I re- and I love yeah. the way you spoke about this in the in the Artist Talk. It's the, you know, it's it's portraits of women and and their kind of various tools or instruments they use when they have to walk around by themselves or when they're not feeling safe. Right. The the idea of keys mm-hmm. as weapons. The you know the pens as weapons. You know, and. What I really loved about the way you spoke about this was you were going to support and try to, you know, tell a bit of their story in the only way you can as a man, which was through photography. Like you weren't going to say, oh, yeah, I know what that's like or, yeah, I know I know what you're uh, going through. Right. It wasn't a mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't about trying to say that that you completely understand what they're going through, but that you were going to use what you could use by doing what you do to help tell their story. Yeah, because I, when speaking with these women, um, and shout out to them, definitely thank you for your time, if you're listening. Um, they they expressed to me a lot of time that the issue was men. Mm-hmm. You can't expect women to have solution to an issue that they didn't create. Right. It's the same way, it's the same way, you know, you know race, white people will ask black people, like, how do we fix racism? And it's like, I, we can't fix racism. You created that. So you got to face it. So if this culture that women are living in, where it's men that is, you know, facilitating these type of unsafe environments. Right. Um, now I think it should be a dude that listens to what they're saying and puts his foot forward and hold other people accountable 
and let you know, like, I'm going to let you know right now for two reasons. One, these women's stories need to be heard because they don't feel safe. They don't feel safe. Nobody should not feel safe just as soon as you walk out of your house. Sometimes not even still feeling safe in your house. You know, making sure you got two, three, four locks on your door. Sometimes that right. is, that's the level it takes sometimes, you know. And so when you say be careful to a dude, most of the times, like when to men, it's like a, it's like, uh, it gets taken for granted. I don't know many dudes that probably won't, won't admit it, but I'll admit it. And it's just like, I'm a dude, like nothing's not going to happen to me because that's, that's how, that's like a societal norm type of thing. Right. You know, right. Like nothing can happen to me, but things happen to dudes all the time, but it's just the idea of it. But things had, things happen to women in crazy numbers. So mm-hmm. when you say be careful, sometimes it's almost condescending, if you will, like, because it's like, I've been careful all day, right? Like, every day. Like, that's, that's my state of being uh, yes. when I, yeah, from when I leave to when I come home. Right. And that's not good. That's right. not good. You know, I'm raising daughters. Mm-hmm. They're going to grow out and go into the world and live their life. And I can't stand here. And act like, I don't know what the ills of the world is. I'm not sending them out there thinking everything is safe and hunky dory peaches and cream because it's not. Mm-hmm. But this is my way of learning for me to teach other men, um, bring more awareness to it so other men can, you know, protect women in these situations to make sure that this is just not happening. Um, and then my daughters can also learn about what's out there, how to protect themselves, what other women have done to protect themselves. You got first name accounts of people's experiences, you know, so like, it's not the same as, you know, oh, that's just dad telling me be careful. Like, no, here are your fellow, like, sisters telling you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> be careful. Like, this is what's going, this is the extent we have to go through, you know? So, however I can teach these lessons and keep moving it forward and keep bringing that awareness, I'm going to do it. Like, all these projects are going to, I don't know, probably forever be ongoing. Like, check in again with me in 20 years and let's see what changes come. Right. You'll, I'm sure you'll take on more. Uh, topics, more issues, more concerns, and and these other things you're working on aren't going to be solved in our lifetime. Oh, definitely <laughs> and, uh, and not just by me. Either. Yeah, yeah. Um, this you, is a collective. You write uh, in being safe. Being in a constant state of situational awareness can be and is exhausting. According to the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, 81% of women reported experiencing some form of sexual harassment and or assault in their lifetime. These numbers are alarming, to say the least. With my project, Being Careful, Caring More Than Just a Burden, I strive to bring awareness and understanding to the omnipresent fear that women have when out in the world by sharing the stories of women. The idea that your role in what you can do you know, comes from both experiencing things, being a father, and now having the ability to photograph and get that work out there. That's the work, you know, you, you started doing, you know, as soon as you became aware of people like Carrie Mae Weems and Roy DeCarava and Gordon Parks and Eugene Smith. And so, you know, you saw the potential of photography, which at the time was self-taught. Yeah. You saw that photography could, could be powerful, could do something. And with um, those stories, that narrative aspect of it is what really you know, drew me in. I've always needed a creative outlet. And, and in the army, I didn't feel like I had that working 24 seven, you know, photography was that I could get that in during mm-hmm. that time, you know? And, and then you had the, the good fortune of also being published, you know, in, in New York times and New Yorker and New York and, and the cut. Do you see editorial work as a, a sort of path forward as a way of, of keeping yourself going? If they call me, <laughs> 
Half camera will travel. I'll tell you that. Um, I don't. I don't. Um, I don't turn down uh, too many photo gigs. I like having a nice, very diverse portfolio when the time comes. You know, have a nice little yeah Swiss, a Swiss Army knife of sorts <laughs> for things. You know, I will always post what I'm passionate about. You know, put that work out there in the forefront when I think it's important. But I don't have no issues with doing some editorial work if they send that email. <laughs> what um. So you were, you know, you were uh, in Brooklyn, uh, of course, uh, for school, and and also you grew up there, and you were there for a good mm-hmm. part of the pandemic. What um what brought you to North Carolina? Peace of mind, um, cheaper living, parking, parking. <laughs> parking, very light traffic. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. You're enjoying um, the the rural living. <laughs> it's, it's not. Well, I'm in Raleigh, so Raleigh's not that rural. It's the it's the capital, so it's a little more city esque. But but I don't live like I don't live in that city esque. Like you know, the like the downtown area is really where it's just downtown. It's not like New York City's downtown. Right, it's, right. They're downtown, so I I don't have to deal with the stuff that happens downtown. If something happens downtown, it's mm-hmm. about ten minutes away in order for me driving in order for me to be like, oh, what's yeah. going on? Like I'm a, I'm all right. Um, I enjoy that, but. On a on a more like self awareness tip, I came down to I don't know what drew me to North Carolina itself. Um, I just knew I needed to move out of New York. I didn't know where. Hmm. Um, a lot of places that I thought about were just I don't know. It just didn't sit right. Mm-hmm. And then it was just maybe till crunch time, and it was just like you know what I think I'll just I'm just gonna go to North Carolina. I picked Raleigh. I worked. With, I was gonna go to Durham. So anybody listening that's out in Durham, I, I didn't turn my back on y'all. <laughs> I was I came down with every intention of finding the black towns. I swear I did. My co- my cousin, I won't name him, but uh-huh. he told me if I move to Durham, I might as well just stay in Brooklyn. That's what he said, y'all. <laughs> I know now that he was foolish. He wasn't right about uh, that. Durham is beautiful. It's black. It's black and beautiful. Did y'all. you have some work in mind? Uh, was there a plan beyond just just getting out of Brooklyn? It was just getting my mind right. Man, I didn't I didn't feel like New York City takes so much of you and gives so little back. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So little back. Yeah. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you own a bank or you uh-huh. are just a vendor on the corner. It takes a lot out of you. New York City doesn't care um, about you. <laughs> yeah, you know? Um and you know yeah. why should it, right? You would think home would be someplace I lived my whole life. Joined the army, tried to get away from it, and they just moved me six hours north in the same state. <laughs> they didn't really, you know, they try to keep this connection all the time. Oh, okay. So, so this even this move to North Carolina was just like, yes, yes. It's just something different. I don't want to have to. I felt like the best way I put it to my friends is I, was, I wasn't living in New York. I was surviving New York. Mm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know every every month every 30 days you got to reset and how am i going to get this bill paid and another 30 how am i going to make this this flight and that you know, i gotta move i gotta do this and, and i'm me and my friends doing this or photography making this move but actually they should be proud of themselves as much as i'm proud of them as, and as much as i'm proud of myself like using photography making work like 2020 was different for me yeah. versus everybody else's you know so but moving down here kind of gave me like a relaxed time it's a little different and mm-hmm. the more and i think that was just the universe is calling for me to come here because everything's just been flowing since 
I moved here, everything led to the next part of a bigger project that that spoke truer to my heart all the way through to where I found out, you know, I was adopted when I was younger. So I come to find out that I have family roots here in North Carolina. Oh, wow. An hour away. You know what I mean? So I'm doing all of this, this work to preserve black history and forgetting to do my own yes. <laughs> in the process. So yeah. I, I made myself aware of it. So I just recently did an ancestry DNA test, which is probably going to, I'm waiting for that to come back. I don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope I'm a, I hope I'm a king somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I get that back and see what's going on. And I just keep following, you know, following this family trail of getting information about the family history. I think, I mean, somebody's yeah. got to be the family documentarian, right? That's right. So that's right. I'll do it. And I don't have no problem photograph photographing my process either. Um, how much of it I'm willing to share, I don't know. Maybe that'll come out when I'm 60, 70 years old. This mm. might be a long process. It's a lifelong process. To, yeah. Kind of trying to go back, you know, so genealogy is an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, I actually did um, a DNA test and I discovered I have relatives in North Carolina as well. <laughs> see? See? Come on home. <laughs> and come Texas and Florida. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. What part of North Carolina do you know? Uh, I, you know, I do, I don't have it in front of me, uh, but I do. It's, um, there's, there's, there's like second cousins in Virginia and North Carolina. And, uh, I have a, a pretty mixed up past. My, I actually discovered my birth parents. Uh, my father lives, my birth father lives in Japan. My birth mother lives in Florida. Uh, very recently I discovered. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, it's been quite a journey. It is not uh in any way complete uh because so no, far no. the birth parents don't want to communicate with me so uh and i understand it's a uh, it's got to be pretty weird and tough for them you know it's uh, got to be pretty weird and tough for you yeah, i know it bro, is bro i'm with you i'm on your side bro. i'm team mike whoa <laughs> But, you know, they, they were guaranteed privacy when they gave me up for adoption. So I, I do have sympathy for that. So I've reached out to them and I've had a little contact, but I, now I'm leaving, you know, leaving it all alone. And I've I made my, my ancestry tree private for now. But, but yeah, I've actually made contact with a couple of uh, second cousins, um, kind of without telling them the story. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And you say recently you found this out. Like, recently, this is all in the like, last two years. You? Wow, bro. Good for you, though. Yeah, thanks. Whoa. That's dope. That, that's a story, bro. That's dope. It'll be a story. It'll be a story eventually. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I kind of deal with it and get it all ahead. But you know what? You reminded me of something. When you said you moved to North Carolina for peace of mind, mm -hmm. you you were doing the, the Black Lives Matter stories and getting that, getting that work published. But then, I don't know, in the middle of that or at the end of that, you also published a story about New York in the 90s, and you showed some of this work at the, the Artist Talk on the Double Dutch community. And I feel like that also was for peace of mind, right? Like your move to North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Like that was, I need a break. I need to see some black joy, right? Instead of black pain for, for a little bit. Was, was that mm -hmm. part of it? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I don't, maybe now that you bring it up, that might be like a subconscious thought about it too, maybe because... I came down here because I had the idea that I was going to be surrounded by a little bit more black love in mm. New York City. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, as I'm, as the more I'm getting comfortable here, the more I'm figuring things out. Like, yo, that's probably what I was looking for. Some more black love in another, in another way, you know? Um, seeing more people that look, maybe, look like me, but don't look like they're my enemy. 
mm-hmm. you know, of sorts, you know, like they are out to get me. And I feel like that's not just because they're black or white. Like, right. I feel like that's something new. I feel like that part is just something New York puts on you, you know, like <laughs> they put that yeah. on you. So I'm already expecting people to be as hard boiled as I'm about to be. And they're just like, not, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's been, it's been nice that the double, all that, all that double Dutch work is in New York and New Jersey, but it reminded me of a simpler time. So that was also, I think another way to link it to like, you know, a time when things are a little bit more peaceful for me mentally. You know, it was easy. No bills, no kids. And, yeah. You know, I remember the kids outside jumping rope. And and then I see how that was when I spoke about the alchemy of black people, the magic, you know, like taking something that was used to kill us. And now it's our plaything. We're showing you better things to do with it. You're talking about the rope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The rope itself. And right. like now, and not only is it doing that, like the destruction the rope has done to it you know, our history, look what it is now. It's building girlhood. It's building these connections. It's teaching these young ladies about teamwork, working together, that you don't have to be all so independent. When you you have a team, you know what I mean? It's a team effort between your sisters. Like, that's a connection. Having that connection is important for anybody to have. Like, minds going through this. My, I, watched the, I watched the magic work. My daughter didn't know anybody in there the first day I took her in. And by the end of it, you know, uh, Coach Layla Little for Jump Kids Health in Newark, well, it's in Union. She had my daughter jumping at the end of that class. Like, she's been jumping oh, wow. for a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? And my, yeah. my, my daughter's talking to these other girls about Harry Potter and anime and things. That, like, just connecting. That simple. Just because they had to work together through the rope. Just that. Yeah. They, like, they had an understanding. It was, it was, they probably don't even know what happened because they're just living their life. But, you know, to, but for me to have the honor of being there with the camera, to see that, to photograph that. Yeah. It was beautiful to see. And that's just a, a testament, you know, to just a small bit of the wide array of magic of black people. It's a beautiful thing. Hmm. I think that's a, a beautiful note to end on. And uh, I, I think you're doing amazing work. And, you know, I you're taking a lot on your shoulders with the work you do. And I hope you are finding a little uh, peaceful rest uh, in between. Hey, man. Coffee has become my best friend down here. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, anything um, anything coming up? Anything you want to just uh, announce before we go? Yeah, I have a few. Uh, I'm in a few group exhibitions. Right, well, two group exhibitions right now. One here in Raleigh at the 311 Gallery downtown. Mm, congrats. I have worked in, thank you, in the SunTrust Gallery in Durham at the Durham Art Guild um, right now. So if people want to check that out, um, I have prints available. Of course, you can go to CocoaButterShutter.com. Oh, yeah. Buy some prints. prints. Up there. <laughs> yep. And if there's any and if there are any prints there that that or any images of mine that you've seen that are not up there, please reach out to me in the email or DM um, and I'll do my best to get a print out to you um, of one that you want in your home. Also, I just want to also let everybody know, go to my, my homeboy West at Well Connected. On Instagram, he still has a couple copies of Shadow Boxing left. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing book that he put together by himself. Mm. I watched him put his blood, sweat, and tears into it. Please go do that. He ha- also has a print sale going on right now as well. Um, and just shout out to everybody still doing the best they can with what they got. Man, don't get caught up in the in the tech. Just go out and shoot. <laughs> if that's any type of anything that I could give you, please. Well, that's great. Thank you. What a great note to end on. All right. Thanks again, Chris. Really, really wonderful to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. 
Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>